there is still this notion that Western science has to come in and validate indigenous knowledge. Whilst indigenous people don't have that perspective, they can very easily look at the world from both a Western science perspective and look at the world from their indigenous science perspective. They know that there are multiple ways of looking at the world. We as non-indigenous and as Western scientists, we have to learn how to view the world from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Stephanie Tumampos and you're listening to Down to Earth the show where we talk to incredible geoscientists about their science and its impacts on our planet. Although they make up just 6% of the global population, indigenous peoples protect 80% of the world's remaining biodiversity. The fact is, unlike Westerners, indigenous peoples have engaged in successful sustainability practices for centuries. As a result, their knowledge is vital for designing a sustainable future for the world. While more and more scientists and global leaders are recognizing the validity of indigenous knowledge, some of us may still be unsure of how to bridge the perceived gap between indigenous and Western scientific knowledges. So today, we're speaking with a scientist whose career is devoted to this very work. Support for Down to Earth comes from the Inspire, Develop, Empower, Advance, or IDEA Committee of the IEEE Geoscience and Remote Sensing Society. The IDEA Committee is about empowering engineers and scientists to follow a career in geoscience and remote sensing. One way they do this is through their Women Mentoring Women program. This year-long mentorship program fosters careers and friendships across generations, disciplines, and geographies. To learn more, visit grss-ieee.org and select IDEA from the community header menu. I am learning by embracing Indigenous knowledge and Indigenous methods, and also by co-creating new methods with and for Indigenous people. This is Diana Mastrachi Sanchez. She's the international liaison of the Geo-Indigenous Alliance and also co-founder of Space for Innovation a technology and innovation consulting firm that's all about leveraging space assets and open innovation to co-design culturally relevant solutions to the climate change crisis. One of the methods we use in Space for Innovation with the Indigenous Alliance is the Indigenous Hackathon that brings in together the Indigenous knowledge holders, uh, scientists, as well as the collective intelligence of the crowd. And uh, the methodology was co-designed with Indigenous people uh, to reflect their needs and priorities. Diana has been co-organizing Indigenous hackathons since 2015. From the outset, the goal has been to increase cross-cultural communication between both Western and Indigenous participants, as well as between community elders and youth. These hackathons have led to some pretty incredible projects that really demonstrate the value of bridging Indigenous and Western knowledges for finding sustainable climate solutions. So the Geo-Indigenous Alliance was founded in 2019 in Canberra, Australia, by Indigenous leaders from around the world to promote the access and use of Earth observation data. And uh, Space for Innovation works with the Geo-Indigenous Alliance to harness the wisdom of the crowd to empower both Indigenous and underrepresented communities to define and solve their most pressing problems whilst co-creating a bridge between their knowledge holders, their youth and uh, scientists. The challenges are co-designed by the communities themselves. We work with the community and through consultation with their elders, the indigenous youth 
they frame a challenge that is culturally relevant and at the same time uses both their indigenous knowledge with uh, scientific data. And then they have the option of solving that challenge locally through a local hackathon or to opening the solution up to the whole world so that anybody can uh, contribute and help them to find solutions. So what's the core focus of the challenges? Can you give us some examples of projects that have come out of the hackathons? All the collaborations in this hackathon are meant to contribute to the preservation of the different knowledge systems in the community, as well as the understanding of global climate change from an indigenous perspective through the use of uh, accessible technologies. The winning solutions are now being co-designed by the indigenous uh, communities with the winning team. So one of the projects that we're working on is called the Shakain Project, and it's led by indigenous people in the Ecuadorian Amazon, uh, the Shuar people. And it's a reforestation project. Uh, They have already reforested certain plots of their land in the Amazon basin. And they're now using drones to try to monitor the carbon stored in these newly reforested areas. So this is one project. Another project is called the Namunyak app, and it takes place, it's taking place in the Samburu County, that is the northern part of Kenya. And um, Titus Letapo is uh, leading this project, and he's working with a team of hackers from around the world. And they have developed an app to allow the community to map their territory using just three symbols. The symbols have been co-designed by a local artist. This will allow the community to start mapping their territory and to provide uh, information to the government when they have locust invasions, as well as any type of um, extreme weather event. Another uh, application is called the LOPA app. Also. Um, in the Samburu County, and it aims to integrate both indigenous knowledge of weather prediction. So the Samburu are uh, semi-nomadic and they use the movement of the stars and as well as the behavior of animals to predict the weather. But uh, recently they've had very severe weather changes. And so they want to combine their knowledge that has allowed them to sustain themselves for millennia together with cutting edge scientific data to start building a local record of how climate is changing, as well as in the long term, to make better predictions to sustain their livelihoods. It's a long-term process, but uh, it's very rewarding for both the indigenous communities as well as the hackers. They're both learning from each other, and it's more about the the process than the, the end result in itself, because through this process, the indigenous community, they're learning more about geospatial technologies, whilst the uh, hacker communities, they are learning more how to engage with indigenous communities, as well as they're having this unique opportunity to learn firsthand about indigenous knowledge. This is a unique perspective on my end, because I think there's respect to each other. It's not just, you know, I'm doing this just for for the prize, but there's more of like a respectful community engagement and collaboration, which is truly important. But what are some practices that help ensure good, respectful collaboration? How do we effectively and respectfully bridge knowledge systems? So in order to have uh, good collaboration, uh, we need to ensure that 
the research and the solution reflects the needs of the community. And for this to happen, participants really should be at the heart of the co-design process. They should be driving the research questions. This enables solutions to be embedded in cultural traditions and to be centered on the community's needs and priorities and to strengthen as well uh, community's knowledge and sense of identity. We, we have cultural knowledge, which you're dealing with. How do we connect that to the scientific knowledge? In order to, to bridge knowledge systems, I think it's essential to, first of all, address existing power imbalances. All participants should have an equal voice. They should feel valued and have the same opportunities to contribute to their shared goals. And it's important to keep in mind that trust comes with consistent and honest communication. It takes time to build, and there is really no shortcut. Before working towards an objective, uh, it's important to commit to open communication and collaboration to minimize any harms that may happen through, through the work. It's important to, as well, to familiarize yourself with the uh, rights of indigenous communities and to advocate for indigenous rights. So you mentioned the potential for harms. What might this look like when working with indigenous communities? What what should we be considering? Well, unfortunately, uh, collaboration with scientists hasn't always had a very positive uh, impact for indigenous communities. Historically, scientific research uh, has been an instrument of colonization. Scientists usually used to go to indigenous lands and they used to do their research and then fly out without sharing their research to the community. Uh, indigenous people were treated more like subjects. And when research is not led by or co-designed with and for communities, it risks relying on assumptions and data that can misinterpret local indigenous knowledge. It can also disregard local cultural protocols and ignore communities' priorities. And unfortunately, this can further deepen discriminatory practices and socioeconomic inequalities. So it's important to be aware of these historical malpractices that have taken place. And that's why the the co-design of the whole research process is really essential. Yeah, for sure. And I think we really need to highlight this one. So can you give us an example of concerns Indigenous communities might raise during a research project? So the first time that uh, I co-designed a local hackathon in the uh, North Slope of Alaska, the community was interested in having their youth involved in co-designing technology. However, they were also concerned about the data that they could be collecting and sharing with the outside world. For example, they were scared that they could be sharing georeferenced pictures of subsistent activity or uh, locations of polar bears. So, so there are a lot of unintentional harms that come from projects involving data. So the uh, data ethics is something that it's, it's very important. Indigenous people should always have uh, the rights to the data. There are now many frameworks, however, and approaches that have been written by Indigenous scholars on how to work respectfully and ethically with Indigenous people to ensure that research reflects Indigenous worldviews and the community's priorities. Can you expand on that? What are some of these frameworks? 
So a very important framework is the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, UNDRIP, which is an international instrument adopted by the United Nations, which promotes the full and effective participation of Indigenous people in all matters that affect them. And the main themes of UNDRIP are the right to self-determination, the right to be recognized as distinct people, and the right to free, prior, and informed consent. And free, prior, and informed consent really gives Indigenous people the ability to give or withhold consent to any project that may impact their communities. And it also enables them to negotiate the terms of how a project is evaluated and implemented and monitored. Another very important international framework are the care principles that are meant to complement the existing fair guiding principles for scientific data management and stewardship. And the care principles really define the rights and approaches that need to be used in order to facilitate Indigenous people's control over data management and stewardship. Working to develop positive, respectful, and reciprocal relationships with Indigenous research partners is incredibly important, but might not seem directly relevant to you or your work. Personally, as a doctoral student focusing on improving or generating code to reduce variability in our Earth system models, I spend most of my time in front of a computer. I don't engage with communities for my research, so learning about principles of engagement or Indigenous knowledge doesn't exactly impact my work. You may be surprised to know that Diana didn't always make the connection either. However, one particular project she worked on with an Alaskan community completely transformed her worldview on the value of Indigenous knowledge and Indigenous Western partnerships. That's coming up right after the break. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. I'm going to ask you three questions. First, who is your favorite scientist? Someone alive today who is smart, accomplished, passionate, and knowledgeable. Can you picture them? Now, if your favorite scientist is a man, tell me, who is your favorite woman scientist? Last question. Who is your favorite woman scientist in your country? If no one comes to mind, then maybe that person should be you. Help make an impact on a woman's career by joining the Geoscience and Remote Sensing Society's Women Mentoring Women program today. To sign up, visit grss-ieee.org and select IDEA from the Community Header menu. Welcome back. Today we're speaking to Diana Mastrachi-Sanchez, International Liaison of the Geo-Indigenous Alliance and co-founder of Space for Innovation. For the past decade, Diana's mission has been to find creative ways to empower social change initiatives with Earth observation data. This passion led her to work with Indigenous communities to develop hackathons that bridge Indigenous and Western knowledges to find culturally relevant climate solutions. Through these hackathons, as well as her work with Geo-Indigenous Alliance, Diana has developed a much deeper understanding of respectful, reciprocal, Indigenous-Western collaboration and the value that science can bring to climate solutions when both Indigenous and Western perspectives are incorporated. But Diana didn't always feel this way about Indigenous knowledge or collaboration. Thankfully, an experience in Alaska changed her mind. 
after completing my master's degree, I had the opportunity to work in the Alaskan Arctic with the Inupiaq community, who are an indigenous subsistent community that rely on sea ice for their livelihoods. At the time, I was mostly interested in the role of indigenous knowledge and technology for safe navigation in the sea ice. I wasn't very interested in collaboration or crowdsourcing, but I had the wonderful opportunity to really spend time with the community and learn from the community. I shadowed Inupiaq hunters out on the sea ice. I talked with elders. I talked with uh, students. And all the people I talked to told me data is important. Earth observation data could help them to make better predictions of the sea ice, to better navigate in the Arctic. But they also reminded me that when temperatures drop to minus 50 degrees Celsius, you can't really rely on technology alone because the batteries on your phone will freeze. There is also a lack of coverage out on the sea ice. Um, so this was really a powerful testimony to me that technology and data alone are not enough. All the elders and educators that I spoke to in the Nukia community, they all told me that what they really wanted was for their young people to grow up with a foot in both their traditional worldview and a foot in the science. And yes, learn the scientific method, but also the traditional knowledge that has allowed them to sustain themselves and to thrive in such extreme environments. So uh, working in this very extreme environment that is the Arctic and as well as with indigenous people has taught me that complex societal challenges do not really respect rigid academic knowledge systems and that we really need to step out of our comfort zone to learn to embrace different worldviews. Yeah. I love when you say technology and data alone are not enough. That was beautifully put and really illustrates the importance of relationships and also listening to and addressing the needs of community instead of just assuming we know what, what the community needs. I think that's an important takeaway. But there are barriers to being able to engage in such deep relationship building. So can you speak to these? I think the main problem in academia is the way that research is funded. Usually there is no time allocated for getting to know the community. Before even starting research with the indigenous community, you should really take the time to get to know the community, spend time with the community. And that is really not included in in the budgets for uh, academic research. Usually researchers have uh, limited time to to do their fieldwork and they're not obliged to do outreach, seeing the findings of the research that is being conducted on their territories being given back to the communities. It's something that indigenous communities really value. Unfortunately, I think uh, science is still a very elite endeavor and science collected by non-scientists is still undervalued. indigenous uh, communities, they are still fighting to have their knowledge accepted by the scientific community. And I think my main lesson has been to learn that uh, knowledge doesn't always come from scientific data. When I was working with the Inupia community and my research started shifting from working with indigenous subsistence hunters who were taking in-situ measurements with their um, pocket weather meters and their uh, mobile phones to working with students 
and elders. I really had to learn how to accept that people who are not trained in the scientific worldview have also a wealth of knowledge to share and that it's really important for humanity. Um, I think citizen science has a, a tremendous potential to contribute to the work that scientists are doing. They can collect really valuable in-situ data uh, that could be used to validate uh, satellites. They are creating local records of climate change that could really help us to find new solutions to global uh, climate issues. What, what we really need, as we discussed before, was for uh, scientists to really start opening up to the idea of working with non-scientists, to acknowledging their work in a respectful manner, and we should really seek more collaborations between citizen scientists and scientists. So what are your thoughts on future efforts to tackle climate change? What do we need to keep doing and what do we need to change? So scientists have finally validated what Indigenous people have been telling us for years, and that is that lands managed by Indigenous people with secure rights, they um, are more biodiverse, they experience lower rates of deforestation, and they store more carbon. However, despite the crucial role that indigenous people are playing in climate change mitigation and adaptation, it's extremely hard for them to find funding for indigenous-led projects. So I think what we really need to change is uh, the funding mechanism to allow indigenous people to have direct access to these uh, climate funds. We also need to ensure that uh, closing the digital divide becomes a priority. There are still a lot of communities who lack access to the internet. We need to keep advocating for the inclusion of indigenous knowledge in all climate assessments. And we need to support the legal recognition of indigenous lands. What you said is true. We're still lacking in that aspect. Now, what advice would you have for other scientists with respect to embracing other worldviews? How do they do this? Well, something that I learned from working with Indigenous people is that there are multiple ways of looking at the world and interpreting the world. And we can't really afford to look at the world from one perspective anymore. We really need the power of multiple knowledge systems to address the climate crisis. So my advice to scientists and researchers is to really take a step back and take the time to unlearn maybe Western modes of research and embrace multiple ways of knowing. It's really rewarding and I highly encourage it. Well, that's all for this season of Down to Earth. Want to learn more about Diana Mastrachi Sanchez and her work? Find me at spaceforinnovation.com or gindigenousalliance.com. I'm also on Twitter at dmastrachi, D-M-A-S-T-R-A-C-C-I. And I look forward to engaging with you in the virtual world. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, where you can check out the fascinating episodes from seasons one and two. By following us, you'll also be updated on any future seasons of the podcast. Finally, don't forget to send some love to our sponsors at IEEE underscore GRSS on Twitter and Instagram. 
and IEEE Geoscience and Remote Sensing on Facebook and LinkedIn. This episode was produced by Nicole Bedford from Nicole Bedford Films with help from me, Stephanie Tomampos. Graphics and design by Mylene Briggs of Killam Media. And a special thanks to Heather McNairn and Sean Kipover for their support. I'm Stephanie Tomampos and you've been listening to Down to Earth.